we are starting a new series called Life Hack. And uh, as I mentioned in my video this week that we did uh, for email, a life hack is basically when you take something that's been lying around or something that you, you, just an everyday item and you repurpose it for something else that you didn't really think about repurposing it for. So uh, I brought an example here. Let's say last night you ate half a bag of Nestle Toll House butterscotch morsels, okay? Because you were doing an example at church and you needed to have a half empty bag. So, um, so here you are and you've got this thing and you could, you could try to like fold it up and put a clip on it and uh, you know, put some tape on it or whatever. That's lame. Here's what you do. You take a water bottle, preferably empty, and you cut the top off of it so you have one of these things, okay? Oh, and by the way, if you're new to church and you're just like not used to church and, and you're thinking, you know, I have to go like, and tell somebody I went to church on Monday, you know, and that's kind of embarrassing. I don't want to be a Jesus freak, whatever. And they say, so you went to church. How was it? And you say, I don't know. He was talking about Jesus. But let me tell you what he really showed me that was awesome. So this is for you. If you're just like, I want to leave with something, you're going to love this. So you take your, your little bag and you shove it through the top here. Okay. And then you, you bring it, you bring it down tight and then you take the bag and you put it back over the top of the water bottle and you screw the cap back on. And now, yeah, no, for reals. And then, um, it's awesome. And then my wife pointed out that that's what Ziploc baggies are for. Um, and, uh, I'm just like, what are you talking about? Although, but I was thinking if you have a bunch of Ziploc baggies full of stuff, you're constantly looking at them to try to see, well, oh, these are those butterscotch. Here you've got all this packaging intact. I can glance in there and go butterscotch. There they are. Okay. So there you go. So you can take that back to a, a church or whatever, a school or work, wherever you go from here. Okay, so here's the thing. That might be kind of lame, um, but that's what a life hack is. It's when you have something that you don't normally think to use, that you use it, and then your life is changed for the better, and you become super uh, efficient, and none of your butterscotch morsels go bad. Uh, but he, here's the thing. God has placed all around us, okay, all around us things that are available for us to use, in different situations. If we would just have the eyes to see them, if we would just be able to think a little bit differently, these are things that God has made available to us. And so what we're going to be doing this morning, uh, we're going to, this is just kind of an intro uh, because I want to I show you something in the Bible that really you have to know before you can start implementing some of these life hack things. But um, uh, this week is a, the introduction, and then we're going to start talking about what are some of these things that are available to us. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, when we're wounded by someone, okay, there's an injustice. The thing we think is going to solve that is justice to make it right. So, so we're wounded, someone offends us or whatever, and we think we need an apology, but the life hack, the thing that God has there that's in front of us all the time, whenever we want to get to it, we can grab it and use it whenever, is forgiveness, not justice. And so one of the weeks, we'll be talking about this. We'll be talking about the life hack of forgiveness, that um, there'll be certain situations where the best thing you can possibly do is to pick up forgiveness instead of looking 
for justice. And so, um, and so those are kind of some of the things, and we'll, we'll go over some more uh, as we continue in the sermon. While I was on vacation in the last two weeks, we were driving up the five, and um, uh, w- when we were on the five in Los Angeles, um, I, I lost my salvation. But I got it again on the five after Los Angeles, okay? And so um, I, 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 we, we got into the clear, and it was like, wow, I was overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit, I guess. But, uh, but, but I connected back again with God and, um, and asked for forgiveness. And so, uh, so we're driving up, and my phone rings, and it turns out that in, in Garden Grove, in the, the region that my son plays soccer, they needed a U16 boy soccer coach. And, and I promptly told them, that I'm retired now and uh, from coaching soccer and that uh, there's no reason to call me, but they persisted. And so I ended up taking this team uh, that I didn't get to draft, like, right? So they just handed me a team. Now, uh, just to give you a little like kind of thing about my personality, I'm somewhat competitive. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, but so, 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 so like, so I, I get the thing, and I do what every, pa- what every pastor you would expect a pastor to do. The first thing I look over, and I'm like, are any of these kids any good? You know, that's just like, that's the first thing I'm looking at. Like, do I know any of them? Have I coached them before? Have they been on a team before? And I, I, look, I, I look down the list. And, and um, then the second thing I did, do any of their last names, are any of their last names Messi or Ronaldo? Okay, like, like top soccer, like, do they come from a rich soccer family? Okay, right? And, uh, and so that wasn't the, the case either. And then you go through their registration forms and you see how long have they been playing? Because you, you want to know, you know, are these kids uh, any, any good? And I had remembered that two years ago uh, when I was doing a U14 boys team, uh, we were all there and... Um, the mom comes onto the soccer field uh, at practice, and uh, she says to me these words that no soccer coach in the world ever wants to hear. Uh, this is his first year, <laughs> okay? And I'm like, really? you 14, and it's his first year. Um, that's horrible, and he probably won't like it, and he should quit immediately, okay? So, yeah, uh, and so we're, we're talking. His name's uh, Robert. It's not his real name. His real name is Jonathan, but... Um, <laughs> He, uh, uh, and so sure enough, this kid's not only never played soccer before, like, I don't even think he's seen a soccer ball before. And, and so, um, now I'm, I'm joking. I'm not su- that competitive. And I, I, I did tell her that he might not like it because it's, it gets more competitive this year, but it turns out that he, he loved playing soccer. And so my, 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 I shifted everything from, and this is kind of how I coach. I see in each kid a better soccer player than they are currently. It's just kind of the nature of how I coach. I, I, I think every kid has a better athlete in them than is what is like produced right now. And it's my job as a coach to, to pull that out of them. Okay. And so for Robert or Jonathan or whatever his name was, my goal instead of switched from, okay, now he really wants to play. I have to look inside this kid and figure out where, where do we need to do the work to draw out the best soccer player he can be so that at the end of the year, we have a better player than we did before we started. And then, and trying to do that 
with all the different kids. Now, now here's the thing. You're probably just like me in that really, but you also want like some all-stars on the team too, right? I mean, yes, you do. But here's why I bring up this story and this particular section of scripture that we're going to look at this morning. A lot of us think we need to be an all-star in order to experience what God has for us through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and, and if we're honest with ourselves, we, we kind of think like there's a lot of promises in the Bible and there's lots of encouraging things in the Bible. And we, if we're honest with ourselves, we'll go, yeah, but it's, it's probably for the pros, you know? It's probably for the professionals. I'm just barely trying to get through life. And here's what I'd tell you. I would tell you that you have a heavenly father that looks into you and says, there is a person who is closer to me than you are right now in there, and we're going to draw it out together. And that's God's job. And here's what's cool about it. I'm flawed, so I can only see so much in a kid with soccer. I probably make all sorts of mistakes, but your heavenly father is not flawed. He knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows your past. He knows about where you're going. He's, he's loving. I might have ulterior motives to win some type of a trophy. He does not. <laughs> he loves you. He's faithful. And so what I want to do this morning is look at a section of scripture that talks about God's perspective of us. Because here's the thing that's going to happen in this series. Um, um, we're going to start talking about some things, some life hacks that are going to be difficult to do. (laughs) And the key to accomplishing what God has for you is going to be your ability to trust in his character, to trust who he is, to trust in his nature. And so we want to look at a section of scripture this morning that does that a little bit and also... um, kind of gears us up. And then as we go through the next five weeks and we're talking about some of these things that God will want us to pick up, uh, service, generosity, um, gratefulness, forgiveness, these types of things that if we would incorporate them, our lives change radically. Um, uh, We can have this particular section of scripture in the back of our minds. It's in 2 Peter chapter 1. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to it there. Um, uh, Most of us uh, have mobile devices. You can just go ahead and search it. I'll have the scriptures up behind me. But 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 1. Now, this was a letter that was written by Peter. And Peter was a top dog, okay? Like, like, like when you think about, boy, if I wanted to be a, you know, just on fire Christian, you would think about Peter about this time when he was writing these letters. This is why it's so important to read what he says about you. Because Peter could easily start talking about his you know, you know, kind of what it's like to really follow Jesus and all that. He spent three years with Jesus. Um, and, and, uh, and he had some really, I mean, he had some boneheaded things he did, but he also had Jesus say, man, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so Peter had some really great credentials, but watch how Peter introduces himself. He says, and this is how the whole letter starts. Simon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. 
Peter, the, the rock of the church, the one who, yes, he betrayed uh, um, Christ three times, but Jesus made that all uh, better. And like immediately, Peter goes into this ministry where 3,000 people get saved and he's healing people in the temple and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I mean it's, it's Peter. And Peter's identity is I'm a slave and an apostle. Peter's whole identity is wrapped up in Christ Jesus. And here's the the first point I want to make this morning as we go into this series. To the extent that your identity is found in Christ will be the extent to which you can um, increase your relationship with him. See, if I find my identity outside of Christ, I'm going to get trapped. I'm going to get sucked in. So if, if I find my identity in my career... I'm going to become enslaved to my career because that's where I want to go to find value. If I find my identity in Christ, I want to go to Christ because that's where I find my value. You see that? If, if I find my identity in uh, my, um, uh, my money, that's going to fail me. If, if you find your identity in your looks, I promise you that will fail you. <laughs> Sooner or later, okay, you can hang on as long as you want, but uh, sooner or later, anyway, uh, so uh, if you want to find your identity in your intellect, that will fail you. If you want to find your identity in, um, you know, kind of what you achieve, that will fail you. If you want to find your identity in Christ, it will do nothing but draw you closer to him and bring the kind of promises we're going to see talking about there. But this is what Peter does. Peter could have used anything. He could have said, Simon Peter, the guy who preached one sermon and 3,000 people got saved. Simon Peter, the guy who walked up and there was a a lame beggar there. And I said, you know, silver and gold, I don't have any, but hey, rise up and walk. Simon Peter, the one who was hanging out with Jesus, kind of one of the top three disciples. Simon Peter, what does he say? Simon Peter, in the New American Standard Version, says a bond slave to Christ. That's my identity. Now, he uses the term apostle because that was a title that he had in the church at that time. But um, his identity is found. I'm a servant and apostle of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. This is so great. You think to yourself, well, if we're going to be doing a series and then, you know, trying to get closer to Christ, Peter, Peter probably made it, you know, Peter and Paul were probably like the two best, really, examples. And I'm just, I'm just John. I'm just you know, whatever, Gavin, you know, it's just like, I can't, you know, I can't, I can't do that caliber. Watch what the apostle Peter says to you and to me. He says, so, so Simon Peter, that's his, he's saying, okay, it's Simon writing the letter and here's who I'm writing it to. Check this verse out. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. In other words, Peter is saying, hey, it doesn't matter who you are. Not based on your own thing, but the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are all in the same boat, all with the same access, all with the same things that God has placed before us that he empowers us to use. He says we're the same. Now, again, I don't, Try to wrap your mind around that for a second. Think about that and think about your week last week and how did, how did it measure up? Did you, did you think in terms of God going, man, 
Lord, thank you so much for this, this precious faith that I have. Is, do you recognize the soccer player in you? Do you recognize that, that God wants to keep transforming you, keep moving you closer to him? And he says, to those who through the righteousness of God uh, and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Uh, let me show you um, what he says after this, because he kind of gives them this little blessing. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. When, when we went on vacation, um, I kind of disconnected from the news. And, um, uh, and so I, I didn't know what was happening. And so I, I didn't know that a lion got shot somewhere. And I, I didn't know there's like, 150 candidates for president. Um, and, and so I had kind of missed all, all that stuff. But what was amazing was peace began to come in abundance, you know, because you're, you move away from all that kind of stuff. But even that's not the kind of peace that he's talking about. And Peter says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. And then he adds that next little line through the knowledge of God. Here's what he's saying. When you understand and you know God for who he really is, it doesn't matter what, you, what your circumstances are. You will experience the peace of God. So the way this plays out in my own life is not by avoiding the news and, oh, I have all this peace now. It's by getting to know my heavenly father, to know what he's like, to know how faithful he is, how much he loves me, how forgiving he is. And so it'll go something like this. Um, and a situation will begin to arise, you know, maybe through the church or through my own personal life or whatever, and I'll start to get anxiety or worry. And, and what I do typically is I just go for, a, I just try to figure out a solution. That's just me. I'm about like, look, let's just solve the problem and then we'll, we'll be done. But solving the problem and working on solving the problem doesn't really bring the peace. What ends up bringing the peace, if I can discipline myself to do it, and sometimes I can and sometimes I can't, is to go, God, you know, you know, and you love me and you're faithful and you're never going to leave me, even if my worst case scenario plays out. See, it's my knowledge of God that brings the grace and the peace, not just trying to work stuff out or make it go. And so Peter says this, that this is all available to all of us, that to understand who God is, understand who Jesus is, this brings this grace and this peace in abundance. It's interesting. The Bible is so full of um, this idea that our relationship with God should be abundant. Matter of fact, Jesus said it this way. He said, um, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it to the fullest. He sa- also says this. He says, um, um, I'm here that uh, you might have joy and my joy in you. And so Jesus talks about this. In other places in the uh, Bible, it talks about this, this, this overabundance uh, that we have in Christ as we get to know him and get to know our Heavenly Father. So this is, this is inclusive language, okay? Everybody's included in this, so this opportunity to have a relationship with him. Now, the next verse is kind of the life hack verse. This is the main one um, and, and uh, the one we'll be riffing off of for the next five weeks. The thing about this verse is that if it's true, <laughs> it could really be life-changing. 
Like if, if we really believe this next verse is, is true, there's going to be this deep desire to want to see it fulfilled in our lives. Here's what it says. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Uh, New American Standard Version says, um, uh, his divine power has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Now, if this is true, this means that right now, all of us in this room have the potential, the ability to live a godly life. No matter how hard our circumstances are, no matter what our past is, we all have the ability. And you say, man, but John, it's so hard to do that. It's so, I don't know, I keep getting stuck in the same rut, in the same thing. And guess what Peter's going to tell us? He's going to tell us exactly what he's been saying. And hinting along all this, yes, when you try to do it on your own, it is very difficult. But his divine power has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. In other words, as we get stuck, the best place we can go is to him, to keep working out our salvation with him, to keep going to him. Lord God, I don't know what to do right now, but I'm going to put my trust in you. God, this looks very scary, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I just, I know you're faithful. I know you're loving I know you love me. And so it says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through, again, our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, not calling us by our own glory and goodness, not by, hey, look down the roster and, and, and I, you know, if, if I'm an all-star, then I get to be on the team. No, he calls us. He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take the whole team and we're just going to work us, work each person out to try to get the closest we can to be to look like my son, Jesus. That's what he says. And so he says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And then he says this, through these, his own glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises. And again, this is talking about they've been given, not earned. His promises have been given, not earned. We don't earn these things. We have been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. What we want to do is use them. Use these things for a godly life, like we will be talking about in the next five years. It's great to have forgiveness right there being able to help us through something, but unless we use it, <laughs> we're going to be stuck. It's, it's great to have, um, you know, kind of things going on in life, but if we're not grateful, if we don't pick up gr- gratitude, like Bob will be talking about next week, then, then, then we're going to be missing out. And so on, those different things. They've been given to us. It's great and precious promises. And then, then this next verse is just, is just weird. Uh, and I can't really wrap my head around it. I'll just give you what, what I think it means. Uh, so that through them, these great and pre- precious promises, you may participate in the divine nature. How many, well, you don't even have to raise your hands, but how many woke up this morning going, I, I feel divine. Like, I, I'm just, I'm like, I'm almost like a god this morning. I'm almost like a goddess, right? Well, not, pro- well maybe some of you, I don't know. I, that's, that's, that's just between you and whatever. But, uh, 
But that's not typically how we talk. We don't, we don't just, I mean, if we use the word divine, we mean kind of like fancy, you know, like, like you know, I feel divine, you know, whatever. We don't like think like, like gods. And Bob did a wonderful job. If you didn't hear the sermon last week, he did a wonderful job of talking about how seeing ourselves with this, this like crown of glory, you know, and, and that we don't typically do that, but that God, um, that's how God sees us and that's how he wants us to see others. This is kind of along those same lines. There's this divine nature. What is, what is that? Here's what I think as I study and go through all that. I think the divine nature is, the, is seeing things as God sees them. That we can participate in seeing things as God sees them. So as we begin to go down a road and we think that our career is what gives us value, the divine nature says that's not what gives you value. What gives you value is that you were created in the image of your heavenly father. And you begin to see, yeah, you know what? I, that's just going to entrap me. I, I'm not. I'm going to. I'm going to go this route instead. Or, or maybe as you begin to, um, you know, uh, you, you want to start relationships that you probably shouldn't start or whatever because you find value in in in, in you know not being alone or what ha- what have you. And God says, yeah, you're you're never alone. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And you begin to have this idea. You begin to see things the way God sees them. And uh, that you participate in that. That you participate in the uh, divine nature. And then he goes on and he says uh, one other thing. That when we see the word evil, uh, oftentimes we think in terms of like a horror movie or like a, you know, some evil thing. But when Peter uses this word in this particular context, I want you to put it in the context of what he's been talking about. He's been talking about God's divine power. He's been talking about the knowledge of him. As you get to know him and who he is and you begin to trust in him for things, you literally begin to change, okay? So he goes on and he says, and so through them you might participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, most of us would probably say, well, I have some unhealthy desires or even some desires that are wrong, but we probably wouldn't sit there and, and maybe some of you might and, and, and ushers just grab that person and send them out. But you might not say, I have evil desires, okay? Uh, most people don't say that. Like, yes, I've got very evil desires, okay? But what Peter's saying is this. Listen, in light of who God is, And in light of the fact that you can experience the divine nature of seeing things for how they really are, in light of the fact that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, in light of the fact that grace and peace can abound in our lives abundantly, why in the world would you go anyplace else that's evil? Because in light of of what God wants for us in a relationship with him, pursuing these other things is meaningless. And that's why he says, escape the corruption in in the world. It's just that 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 system of valuation doesn't work. But God's system of valuation does, and that is experiencing the divine nature. As we'll see in the coming weeks, There'll be some things that we bring up in this series that are going to be hard. We are going to be tempted to not 
do them because they're hard. It is difficult to forgive people who've wronged you, is it not? Especially when they were wrong and you were right and you didn't do anything and all that. And then we have this model of Jesus that's just like, he's hanging on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was experiencing, he was, he was participating in the divine nature. That's the nature of God. Mm-hmm. 